Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to Living the Dream with Curveball, a podcast where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by a special guest, Darylise Lyons. She is an author, a speaker, and a coach. And we're going to be talking about how she helps people do the things that light them up. We're going to be talking about everything she's been through and even working at a high-powered, high-paying job for 12 years and deciding to leave that. So, Darylise, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Curtis, thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here with you and with your listeners, you know, virtually or when they when they hear this. Well, why don't you start off by giving everybody a little bit of background about yourself? Absolutely. So, you know, I really love that this podcast centers around living our dreams. And I'll tell you that I have been a writer since I was five years old. I have loved writing. I've loved creativity and self-expression. And I always believe that stories have the power to transform lives. But I really, that was a dream that I guess I kind of dampened or I pushed down or pushed away or something. And so, as you mentioned, yeah, I worked in this high powered finance job for a a while. And I think, you know, I mean, when, uh, for me anyways, trying to escape who I am has never worked. And so I'm very, very grateful that in my twenties, I really got a rude awakening and I realized, you know, I could either be miserable doing, you know, avoiding doing the things I love, or I could be happy and just succumb to, to the fact that I'm, you know, I'm wired to be a creative. And so that's what I've done. And I've really never looked back. And then also, I'm also biracial. I know with podcasts, people can't see other people. Um, And so years ago, I got into very passionately into the diversity, equity and inclusion space. And so I do a lot of work there. And um, and it's it's been such a gift to combine my passions for storytelling and really, you know, amplifying the voices and the stories of others uh, in ways that I think really cause cause people to listen. So I'm um, yeah, I'm really I'm really excited that I get to do work that I love and that I think is is useful in society. Well, let's talk about the company that you work for. Who who what company was it and do what made you decide to leave the company? Sure, absolutely. So I don't know legally if I'm allowed to talk about exactly what company it is, if you know, in case people, uh, you know, but I, I worked for a medical education company first for years, and then I worked for a high powered hedge fund that has offices in both New York City and Greenwich, Connecticut. And I will say that when I worked in for in the finance department for the medical education company, I loved Curtis. I loved the people. I really did. I loved the people that I worked with. I hated the work. You know, I'm just not really wired for finance. My brain doesn't work that way. I was decent at it, but like, you know, I I don't know. I like 
I, I just, I don't love solvable equations, <laughs> like living in the question. And so I didn't love the work, but the fact that I was in a, an uplifting corporate setting and people were kind to me and I felt like I had a lot of kind of creative latitude. I, I enjoyed that part of it, but I also had an eating disorder. And so I was, um, and, and the company that I worked for was very, very supportive. Like I was able to take some leaves from work to go to get treatment and things like that. So in many ways, it, it was a supportive environment um, to kind of do what I needed to do outside of work, but inside of work, I didn't, I didn't love the work itself. And then I got this job, which seemed at the time, like the dream job insert, you know, I'm doing like air quotes that no one can see, but um, it seemed like the dream job, Curtis, because I was making, you know, a lot of money working for the three principal members of this hedge fund. And managing their own personal finances. And so, you know, like it seemed like, oh, cool, I'm making all this money. You know, the company has all these perks, all these benefits, but I hated it. I had to be on from like seven in the morning till seven at night. I had to always be accessible. And I was, I mean, I was managing the money of people that had so much money that, you know, one of my bosses spent like $5,000 on, on suits and, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on bottles of wine. And I mean, it just was like, I, I just couldn't see how I was being in contribution and the stress of it really exacerbated the eating disorder. And so I, I, I was so unhappy. I was so, so miserable. And I would like to say that you know, I kind of left because I just realized, you know, I deserve better. But the truth is, is that my eating disorder just got worse and worse since I took a medical leave um, to deal with that. And at some point in my treatment, I realized, you know what, I can't, I can't go back to finance. If I really want to recover, if I really want to heal, I have to start feeding my soul. And so, you know, that's how I launched into work as a creative and as a writer, it wasn't, you know, I certainly came to it in a way that was like a spectacular failure, but it's turned out to be the best thing that ever happened in my life was not being able to sustain that pace and not being able to sustain doing something that I really, where I felt like I wasn't in contribution. Well, since you were in finance, got a couple of finance questions for you. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> for those who might not know, what is a hedge fund? Oh, thank you. Yeah. So a hedge fund is, it's basically a, an investment fund. Like if you've heard of, I mean, people are tend to be familiar with some of the bigger ones like Vanguard, or um, I think Charles Schwab and stuff has the hedge, like different, there's different um, things where you essentially give your money to other people to manage and then they they do your your investing for you. Most hedge funds have a certain like minimum amount that you have to buy. You have to kind of like have a certain minimum amount of money that they'll manage for you. And so the hedge fund that I worked at at that time, which was maybe I don't know, fifteen years ago now, <laughs> maybe almost twenty years ago, because I'm thirty seven now, and so this was in my in my, oh, I guess, yeah, I guess maybe it was 10 or 12 years ago now, but um, 
they their buy-in was a quarter of a million dollars. So you had to essentially have $250,000 or more of money that you gave to this, this company where, you know, they then manage your investments and there's, you know, shareholders and that kind of thing that govern, like, what's your, how much money you're getting back and, and all of that. But it's, you know, it's essentially investing money for wealthy people and making money for wealthy people. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of privilege upon privilege, actually. So what advice or good information would you give somebody who is looking to invest in the stock market and they want to start from the ground up and learn? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. So, you know, I manage the money of people who did investments. So I was never on the investment side, but I can say just in the limited amount of research that I've done and just my own personal kind of investment history is that it's really, I think really planning for the future is very, very wise. And it's not something, I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think they say that most Americans are like only a few paychecks away from, you know, homelessness, from, from not being able to support their families. Like we're not, we don't tend to have a lot of cushion. And I think that's gotten even worse with the pandemic. So one thing that I would say is to really begin to save if you can and make it automatic. So like having a certain amount of money just come out of your bank account each week or each month or right after each pay period. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a ton of money, but just the percentage of your income just going into savings. And once you build up a little bit of kind of a savings nest egg where if something happened, you know, your car breaks down, you get a, an unexpected medical bill, you, you know, have, you're, you're not working for a few weeks or something like that, you know, you've got that savings. And then beyond that, once you start to, once you've got a little bit of a savings cushion, um, investing, I, I go with kind of easy, manageable investments that are a diversified portfolio. So something like investing in, the um, S&P 500 or the Dow Jones index or something like that, which if people aren't familiar with what that is, it's, it's, um, it's, it's basically just like these stock portfolios that um, invest money across a wide range of companies. So you're not putting your money in just like one company that may or may not do well. You're putting your money in a number of different companies and it's spread out. And there's a lot of investment companies, smaller investment companies where you, you can maybe for like 500 or a thousand dollars, you can start to invest in some of these more diversified portfolios and then have like a little bit, you know, just come out on an automated basis. So I think that is really, you know, probably my level of expertise. I think if someone's like really excited and wants to learn about the stock market, there are so many great courses and great ways to learn, but you have to really, I mean, you really have to have your finger on the pulse of these things and really like do research and be passionate about it. I think to, to outperform just like, you know, the S and P 500 or something easy. So I would, I, I go for ease and comfort and something I don't have to think a whole lot about, but if someone's really passionate about it, they like, there are so many really good resources that I think can, can give, um, can give people advice, but, but you don't have to be passionate about it to, 
to start somewhere. And I think people can make it very easy for themselves and make it more automatic and, you know, do things so that we're, we're planning for the future like in terms of retirement and, and those kinds of things. So what are some of your biggest failures and successes that you would say during your working time? Oh, gosh. Well, I think my biggest failure was actually my biggest success. And this is probably going to come across as like an interview answer, right? Like if we were in a job interview and I was like, well, my strengths are my weaknesses or whatever. But no, I mean, I think my biggest failure was I did what I was good at. I took the road of least resistance as opposed to really asking myself, you know, is this right for me? Is this the right career for me? Is this what I'm meant to be doing? Is this my calling in the world? And so I think really my biggest failure was settling. And I, you know, I kind of liken being in a, in a job that you can't really stand to like being in a, in a bad relationship or something, you know, I mean, it takes a toll on a person. And so I think for me, that was my biggest, failure was, was really staying in an industry just because it was kind of easy, but I knew, I I knew the whole time that this isn't what I'm meant to be doing. This isn't who I am. This isn't what I want or where I want my life to be going. And so I, I mean, I think your question was probably looking more for me to kind of point out moments when I did something wrong, but I think the biggest thing I did that didn't serve me was not asking myself the questions, you know, what do I want to do with life and where are my values? And so I think just really selling out by being in a career that I really didn't want and not, you know, not doing other side things to bring myself joy or to be in contribution in ways that were meaningful to me or to the, the, you know, the communities that I care about. I think it was really I just really settled for a long time. And I paid for that because I it was very self-destructive because I was very, very unhappy. And some part of me just knew that, you know, like this is, this is not the life I want to be living at all. And instead of changing my life, I just really, you know, was, was self-destructive. So tell us about your book that you wrote and how we can pick it up and what it's about. Yeah, thank you so much. So actually, I've written and published 22 books now, which seems almost uh, like wild to me when I think about that. But the most recent one is called Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity. And it's available anywhere that people buy books. But I think now in pandemic times, it's probably best to order it online. So yeah, Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity. And what it is, is it's based on, I'm actually the co-creator of the podcast, um, the Demystifying Diversity podcast. And for season one, I interviewed 128 people about a wide range of topics pertaining to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the podcast is, oh my gosh, it's been such a labor of love and so wonderful. And there's so many voices and so many stories in it. And, um, and it's really just, I think it really touches people's hearts. But what I realized, Curtis, was that there was a lot of information. There is a lot of information in the podcast, but what's missing was the application piece. And so the book, Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity, 
is kind of meant to take it just from the information and the stories to readers and give them a sense of like, well, okay, so how do you implement this? How do you stretch your heart? How do you kind of work to be a better ally? How do you work to appreciate your culture? How do you work to appreciate the experiences of others that you might perceive to be different than, than yourself. And there's a workbook that people can buy along with it. And the feedback I've gotten um, both from podcast listeners and from readers of the book is like, oh my gosh, this is so, so helpful because I think right now there are a lot of people out there who want to kind of be better relatives to each other and want to embrace other humans and, um, and, and don't always really know where to begin or, or what kind of work to do. And so I think a lot of what I try to do is give people resources and tangible tools and encourage them to really live up to their own values. I mean, I think it ties back a little bit to your question of where I, what my biggest failure was. And I think the times that have been the most painful in my life internally have been times when I wasn't living up to my own values and the times that have been the most healing and restorative, you know, regardless of external (laughs) circumstances have been the times when I've really been the person that I'm called to be. And so I think the book um, and to a certain degree, the podcast kind of equip people to, to really look inward and, and, and figure out, you know, who do I want to be within myself? Who do I want to be with the people around me? How can I, how can I participate more in this world in ways that bring people together um, in love and and in empathy? Are there any upcoming projects or speaking engagements that you're working on right now that people need to know about? Oh yeah. Thanks so much. So I always have a number of upcoming projects. I'm working on a young adult novel. I'm actually, um, I'm moderating a panel for the NLGJA uh, convention. And, uh, and I, I think it's okay to talk about, I'll be doing a Ted talk in September. So that's exciting. And, um, yeah, I mean, just a lot of, a lot of good and, and fun and, and exciting things. And, and I'm always really grateful that there seems to be a need for this work. So there seems to be a demand for it, you know, and it's wonderful that I get to answer that. So tell us about the NLGJA panel. Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, what it is, is it's a convention of journalists um, primarily in the LGBTQ community, but it's open to allies and other folks as well. And uh, I'm doing a a panel that pertains to diversity and inclusion and reporting and, you know, and how to really, you know, I think one of the things that can be challenging in journalism is many of us journalists were taught that we need to report both sides of the issue, you know, like that in order to be fair and in order to be ethical, we have to present both sides of, of an of an equation, both sides of an issue. But I think the problem with that is that sometimes, and we saw this a lot, you know, with the Trump administration and different things, and regardless of people's politics, you know, we just kind of saw a lot of, I think, divisive reporting, right? And a lot of kind of efforts to, to, um, to present both sides in ways that ended up being inflammatory. <laughs> and so, um, so the panel is going to look at, you know, well, what are the ethical obligations of journalists? And, um, and, and, 
you know, and some, and the moments when really the, the kind thing to do, the healthy thing to do is just present the truth and present what's right and not, you know, kind of to leave out of the conversation in certain moments and certain circumstances to leave out, you know, bigotry and, and hatred. And, and I think that's, um, that's a really exciting move in the field of journalism. And, and to be part of that, I think is really, for me, interesting and, and fun and, and innovative because it's, it's very different, but I think it is very much more ethical than forms of journalism that would like, you know, think that, oh, well, you have to present the side of the person who's committing hate crimes or something, <laughs> like be ethical. And, and so the, this is uh, just looking at, 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 is that really true? And how, and how can we be ethical as journalists? Well, how do people connect with you so we can keep up with you, give out websites, social media links? Yeah, thank you so much. And I love connecting with people. So Two ways, I would say um, go to daraleeslyons.com. That's D-A-R-A-L-Y-S-E-L-Y-O-N-S.com. And people can connect with me there. They can send me private messages. They can look at all the books I've written and read articles and all of that jazz. Or if you are interested in exploring subjects of diversity, go to demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com. Um, and you know, there's links to all the episodes. It's also the podcast is available anywhere people get their podcasts. Um, they can also send messages to me and all the social media handles. You know, I'm on so all the social media, so people can connect through either website to you know Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and and, <laughs> and all of that. Do you have any final thoughts on diversity and inclusion, or anything that you would like to say before we close out? Oh my gosh. I mean, I could talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion for days. So let me just see. Um, I guess one thing that I think is really, really important, and the more that I do this work, the more I, I recognize it being so, so important, is self-awareness and appreciation for the past and really sort of self-education. So I would say that for people listening, an invitation that I might throw out there is to really think about like, well, you know, what are all the things that make you the person you are today? What are the influences? What are the, you know, thought patterns? What are the communities? What are the family stories? What, you know, where were your ancestors? And just really kind of thinking about all of the things that go into who you are in this present moment. And then, asking yourself, you know, like, is this, am I on a path that is the path that I really want to be on the path that really serves people, the path that's really, you know, kind, that's really in keeping my, with my values. And if you are on that path, great, you know, how do you kind of stay on that path and shore up and, 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 and keep doing the things that you're doing. And if you're not on that path, invite yourself to, to do some work to get on a different path or to slightly course correct. And I think, you know, most of us know deep down within ourselves, if we're honoring our values, but I I think it's important first to think about, well, where do those values come from and what are they shaped by? Because sometimes, you know, my experience of working with people is that they can think 
that a thought or a value is their own. And then as they trace it back, they realize like, oh no, this actually comes from, you know, old messages or toxic beliefs or, you know, abuse, whatever. So, so yeah, like get clear on who you are and get clear on who you want to be and, and do what you can to, to kind of bridge that divide if there is one. Ladies and gentlemen, DarylLeaseLines.com. Darylise, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Curtis, for having me. It was really great to talk to you. And listeners, please be sure to follow, rate, review, and share after listening. And for you Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store, type in Living the Dream with Curveball, and download the podcast app. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. dream.